Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, continuing with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the best sermon ever, Jesus' Sermon, um, and we're going to be taking a look at Treasure Hunt. But before we do that, I just want to celebrate with you. I, I've, I have a conviction that churches do not celebrate enough together, right? When things are bad, we'll say something, or when something's difficult, or a curveball's come our way, we're like, but how about the fact that, look over there. Now, don't clap yet. Don't clap yet. But that, that meter is broken. Do you see it? Our goal was $150,000 for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. And as of last, unless something, something could have come in the mail, right? Postmark the 31st. We hit $168,701. Now I'm pumped because it's missions, and I believe that's why we are who we are, is because of missions. But it just reminds me, church, what we can do together as opposed to by ourselves. There's no such thing as a New Testament church, um, just me and myself somewhere you know, out in under the tree or wherever or doing whatever. No, we gather together and it's amazing what the Lord can lead us to do together. So thank you so much for that. And just on a side note, because it doesn't matter to you maybe, but it matters to your pastor, we fully funded our budget this year. <laughs> May not be a big deal to you, but I have a number of friends in churches who Man, they're hurting. They didn't come close to that. So generosity is an important thing. So the sermon today, for many of you, I want it to be an encouragement. Are you okay to be encouraged? For some of you, it will be a challenge because we're going to talk about treasure. But for many of you, I hope you're going to be saying in your heart, you can say it out loud if you want, but in your heart at least, amen and amen and amen when we look at what we're looking at today. Because we are following in obedience with what God has, uh, has told us to do, commanded us to do. I found this interesting. It's an an anonymous man once said this. You think about treasure. If you want to get better off financially, quit buying things. <laughs> Why have we not written a book and put all those things in there? Is that crazy? Uh, Henry David Thoreau, some of you know who that is, he said this. Just about everyone knows how to make money, but very few know how to spend it. Think about that for a minute, how to spend it. It doesn't mean just go spend it all. It means how to, how to, I think what he was saying is how to take care of it. Let me ask you a question today as we get going. If you, if you had to move today, picture where you live right now. I don't want you to move. I want you to stay here. But if you, we had to, we moved, uh, you know, how long has that been now? Year and a half. We, we moved and it, this applies to us. I'll see if it applies to you. If you had to move today, how much stuff would you need to get rid of? Or how grumpy would you be because of all the stuff you have? And as you got ready to move, hello, you discovered, I haven't touched that stuff in years. Oh, but it's good stuff, Pastor. It's good stuff. I, I bought it myself. Okay, we're going to look at that some things today. Nelson Searcy wrote a great little book about generosity. And in it, he reminds us how swallows learn to fly. Are you aware of this? Some of you probably are. Mama lines up all the chicks on a high tree branch and she begins to push the line of chicks until one chick falls off. 
And of course starts flapping wings and hey, I can do this and flies, okay? So she does this and instinctively this, this chick does what it, God made the chick to do, pump the wings and fly. And the scenario is repeated over and over again until all the chicks are flying. But sometimes there is a stubborn chick. And no, that is not a chauvinistic comment, ladies. I'm talking about the little bird. But sometimes there's a stubborn one. And so what the mama must do is peck away at the chick's talons. And that hurts until the chick finally goes, I'm out of here because of the pain and takes off flying to avoid the pain. You see, the fear of the unknown, we've experienced that, some people at least, right, over the last few years. What in the world is going on? The fear of unknown and the fear of not having enough makes us sometimes like that stubborn little chick. We must remember something to combat that. Here it is. We were created to live a generous life. Let me help a few of you. Many of you already understand this, and it's appropriated in your life. But we were created, it's in us, to live a generous life. That's why Jesus talks so much about treasure over other things. Over and over and over, this happens. When you and I discover how to live generously, we are free to soar, if you will, into the life, the, the blessings, the abundant life that God wants for us. So I say to you today, and I know many of you already have, but let's let go of the branch in 2023. Just get one thing out of the way and see what God might do. Today, we see Jesus teaching us about our treasures. And we always think about money, and that's a big part of it, but there's other treasures as well. So be thinking about all that while we're talking today. Remember, all that we have Overarching principle, all that we have is a result of the blessings of God. In fact, we could say it this way, all of it comes from our creator, from God. Let's look at 19, 20, and 21, a short paragraph here in the best sermon ever. Don't collect for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal and then the zinger comes i didn't write it it's red letter in my bible it means jesus said these words look at it for where your treasure is there your heart will be also let's pray god i'm just thankful today and i'm encouraged today just in the celebration we've had of the, just the generosity of your people coming together. And I'm encouraged by that. And I'm thankful for your commands and your instructions for us in our life, our everyday life, and how practical they can be and how challenging they can be. And I pray that we'll be open to everything that you will speak into our lives, not just this morning, but throughout the year, God. So thank you for what you are saying to your people, to your church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, before we jump into the points, I have a point. And that is um, what this teaching is not saying. I, I, sometimes I feel like, because I read different things, and some people have warped what Jesus says and turned it into a system or turned it into a blessing 
slot machine, you know, different things like that. And so what is not being said here is this. Number, first thing, and you, you probably know this, but you may have a friend who's been taught this. Uh, having treasure is evil. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, if you have treasure, it's evil. No, look, the Bible's clear. Being wealthy is not sinful. Are you hearing me? Being wealthy. In fact, I have said it for years. I want more and more wealthy Christians. Why? So more and more wealthy Christians can give away their wealth to God's kingdom's work, such as what we've been doing. So, so this is great, great to know. I just want to make sure you understand that, okay? It, it, it just The Bible just never says money is the root of all evil. What the Bible does say in 1 Timothy 6.10 is this, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. But there's more to that. We just, there's more to the verse than just that. It helps describe why the love of it, the pursuit of it, is so difficult because it goes on to say, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Got them in a lot of heap of trouble, okay? You see, a person can have money and not love it. A person can have no money and love it. And just, there's so many examples of the Bible, I'll just mention a few, just in case you know someone that's been saying, boy, if, if you've got treasure, there must be something evil, worldly going on. No, that's not the case. Think about Abraham. Scholars have calculated he had over 300 paid staff members. Think about it. Think about his herds and all, his operation. You aware of that? How about Joseph? Scholars tell us that Joseph, who came from what? The pit, right? The well, slavery, prison, all those kind. He's a refugee, and all of a sudden, possibly the second wealthiest person in the empire of Egypt. And then Job. Remember Job? He had it, didn't he? And he lost it all, didn't he? And not of his own accord, of the devil working. And then we get towards the end of Job, in Job 42, 12, and a remarkable statement is made. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Crazy. Okay, so, so this is what Jesus' teaching is not saying. Another one is this. I want to make sure you understand that. Some people are like, well, Jesus is saying, don't, don't emphasize any of that. And then they'll say something like this. You know, earning a living, providing for our families, that you should minimize that. That's not what it's saying. We should not minimize earning a living. We should not minimize providing for our families. No, the Bible is clear we're to be diligent in hard work and in business matters. Do you know before sin came to the earth what Adam was doing? He had a job. Hello? Anybody? He had a job and he was working hard at it. Now I know the garden was perfect, but he was responsible for tending it and tilling it and doing all those things, okay? So this is not just only sin. Now once sin came in, there was thorns and goads and stickers and heartache and all those kind of things. But it's always been that way. In fact, Proverbs 14.23 states it this way. There is profit <coughs> in all hard work. It doesn't say work, it says hard work. But endless talk leads only to poverty. You can talk about it, or you can, as they say, get her done, right? 
How about Proverbs 28, 19? And I could list a ton. I'm only doing a few because we want to get out of here before 2024, okay? Proverbs 28, 19. The one who works his land will have plenty of food, but whoever chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. That verse struck me many years ago. Uh, my second to youngest brother, you know, died about a, it's over a year now ago from COVID. You remember, this, we prayed for him. I went to see him in El Paso. But this was RP. He had all these fantasies that he wanted to talk about and chase, and he would just make it someday doing that. And I tried to help him to see, just get a job and work. And then work another day and another week and another month and began to do that and see what might happen. So it's clear there, man, we're to work, not just to have these ideas that we're going to go out and do. And then in the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, I'm looking at the clock and I messed up because we didn't start at 9.30. I looked up at the clock and said, I'm supposed to be done right now. And I thought some of you would say amen to that. <laughs> Turn that thing off. Now you know the secret. It's there. Oh, the struggle is real. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Uh, in fact, when we were, Paul writing, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. Now this is a hard saying. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. Ooh, I'm just going to let that go wherever it is. Okay, so today, here's what I want us to do. Let's look at the wrong way and the right way to handle our treasure. And this should be encouraging for many of you, the wrong way and the right, right way. We see the wrong treasure hunt, the wrong treasure hunt in verse 19. Don't collect for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You see, collecting valuables, that's another way of saying treasure, collecting valuables for here on earth can be dangerous. Why? Some people will do anything to get stuff. Have you noticed? They're willing to do anything to get stuff. Some people will serve their stuff. A number of people will covet stuff. This is not wise. This is not the way of God. It, this, this verse is interesting. Wycliffe, way back all those years ago, rendered this, it's a command, this Greek command in this way. Do not treasure treasures. That's pretty good, isn't it? Do not treasure treasures. The word used here is the word where we get our English word. Are you ready for this? Not treasure, but thesaurus. Isn't that interesting? It means treasury, but that's where we get our thesaurus from, which is a treasury of something, right? Words? Something? Yes. Okay. A.T. Robertson, the great, uh, great Greek uh, scholar of the 20th, early 20th century, rendered it this way. Treasure not for yourself treasures. Okay, the way it says here for me is don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth. Matthew Henry had a pithy statement regarding riches centuries ago. He said this, man takes great pains to heap up riches and they are like heaps of manure in the furrows of the field, good for nothing unless they be spread. Can you picture that? I'm visual. Maybe you're not, but I can picture what good is the pile of manure, but when it's spread out, how it fertilizes. You see, and that's the, the way it is 
with treasure. So we see here in verse 19, it's a command. It's a present imperative with a negative. So it's kind of a negative command. It's a don't. Don't do this. But nevertheless, it's a command, and it commands us to do something. It commands us to stop some action already in progress. That's the construction of it. It's something that's already in progress, and we should and we must stop it with the help from God. We could say it this way. Here's how we say it. Don't have the habit of storing up temporary treasure on earth. Stop storing up perishable treasure, which you cannot take with you to heaven. It is important to focus on eternal things instead of earthly things. And you'll hear me say, use that word focus today a few different times. Where's the focus? Is it The wrong way is on the stuff because we don't get to take it with us. It's temporary. Can stuff be used for good? Of course. I mean, we just celebrated these things, yes. But also we can hoard it and it can just sit there and then one day we're gone and we see what happens to it ultimately moth and rust and thieves I, I think Jesus is emphasizing something to us it's that there is momentary value of worldly wealth we've seen it have we not people have made fortunes and lost them just like that it's not eternal it's momentary and then we see the moth here and the larvae of the moth could quickly, and they understood this completely in their day, uh, could quickly destroy valuable fabrics. You see, fabric was treasured by the ancients. Are you aware of that? That was a big deal. I mean, that was kind of what class you were in. And so they understood how, you better watch out, the moth can wipe out this treasured fabric that you have. And then we get to the word rust in verse 19, and that literally means to eat. So go home today and say, I shall rust at lunchtime. It means to eat. Now picture that though, because it, here in this context, it can refer to the pitting of metal coins or to pests. Some ancient, wow, some ancient uh, or older translations might have the word worm in there. Maybe yours does. And it's the idea of ruining stuff, corrosion, or in the case of the, uh, the worm or a pest, ruin valuable food sources for them so we see that it's like don't do this it's temporary because there's moth that'll deal with it there's rust or pest that or corrosion that will deal with it and then there's thieves and what does the scripture say there the thieves will break in and steal it hmm. break in is an interesting phrase it literally means to dig through now you think about your house for a minute that does not make much sense does it but think of their houses back then a thief could easily do this they could dig through the mud walls the sun-dried bricks of that era not me maybe maybe you have an adobe house i'm not aware of it but your walls are probably pretty thick here but can you just picture a mud wall we could think of africa that's the first thing that i go to i've seen that and we built homes even that way how easy that would be they can break in and steal in fact the Greeks if we go back to this day the Greeks called a burglar a mud digger we find that in their literature so they understood immediately what it meant about a thief breaking in and stealing it's a clear word picture for us 
to see today. And I want you to miss it. This negative command, don't do this, and then giving these reasons on what will happen to this, uh, this uh, momentary treasure. We're smart, aren't we, Hoppentown? Aren't we smart? We're smart church, aren't we? And we are a smart church, I'm just telling you. Not your, not your pastor or pastors. Can I get away with that? Just seeing if the guys were listening. All right. Yeah, but we're a smart church. But even someone who may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer understands something. We live here on earth, don't we? And we know that everything ages and everything dies. Everything deteriorates. Everything decays on planet earth. We know that to be true. We have very smart people in the science field and other fields that are trying to figure out, and they've spent their whole life trying to figure out how to thwart this, and they can't. I'm here to tell you something. There is no fountain of youth. Now, I know you buy some of that stuff. I know, you know, that appears to make... But from the time we're born, what happens? Our cells are decaying and dying. This is the world of sin in which we live. It's not the Garden of Eden. Okay, now that's two references to Garden of Eden, isn't it? It's because I started my Bible reading again this year, and guess where I started? Good old Genesis, yes. Okay, but think about that for a minute. We, we know these things. If, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that things only last for a brief time, and then they are no more. Everything on earth has the markings of sin within it, not just us, but treasure and stuff. Listen to 1 Timothy 6, 7. Paul instructing, advising young preacher Timothy. And he says this. Some of you are taking this out of context, parents. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. Now, some of you are like me. You've done it for Satan. Boy, I brought you into the world. I'll take you out. No, 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 no. We're, we heard that somewhere. It's here. But we come in the world with nothing, and we leave it with nothing. Let's think of just a few. I could give you so many biblical examples today, but I'll, I'll just give you a few. Remember Achan? Remember those days of Israel, the promised land, conquest? He came along and did what he shouldn't have done. He coveted, and he took, do you remember? He took a beautiful Babylonian garment. He took uh, 200 pieces of silver and a lump or nugget of gold. And because he did this, do you remember that? And he hid it. That's the story goes. And, and, and Israel was defeated in their very next battle because of this. Judgment then came upon Achan and all of his household. Don't do it. How about Solomon? King Solomon. One of, if not the richest guys in the world. And his, he allowed the love of money and women to ruin his spiritual life. Just totally decimated. How about in the New Testament? Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Lord about money, didn't they? They were doing a good thing. I mean, not all of us would do this. How many of us would just go get a, a, a piece of land and, and sell it and just, and just give the proceeds to the church? But what they were doing, they were pretending that they had given, and they said they had given the full price of the sale to the church, when in fact they had kept back a portion. And what happened to them? Just one after the other almost. They were struck dead. Now, I'm not saying that you, if you decide to collect treasures here on earth, that you're going to be struck dead. I'm not saying that. But look at all these examples. We could go on and on about the wrong way. 
I'm reminded of a parable of Jesus. Maybe you've thought of it. It's in Luke chapter 12, if you want to turn there, verse 16. Luke 12, 16. It's often subtitled the parable of the rich fool. Not the rich young man, but the rich fool. Well, they're asking Jesus, they're talking about inheritance and arbitration and all that, and Jesus is like, let me do a parable. Let me teach you. 12, 16. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, What should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. And here's the problem. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy yourself. And then we get to verse 20 and 21. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, remember what he just did? Whose will they be? And Jesus says, here's here's why he shared the parable. That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He didn't say we couldn't have any treasure. It's the focus. Is the focus on stuff and my stuff and I want more stuff? Or is my focus on God and generosity and the glory all goes to God? Everything that I do in every area of life. Wow. So instead of spending too much time on temporary treasure, let us invest in eternal treasure. All right, that's the negative one, the wrong way. Let's move to verse 20 and we get the right treasure hunt. Look at it. Look at this command. Let me turn back. All right. Maybe. Lost my place. Give me just a second. Okay. Verse 20. But collect for yourselves. So so this is a positive one. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. He uses the same three examples. And he shows this, this type is impervious to these examples that get the worldly stuff. So Jesus now gives us a positive teaching, gives us a command. He tells us what to do. I love that. I'm okay with what nots to do, but I much more enjoy what to do. Are you guys that way? Okay, all right, I got it, all right? In fact, if you're a person that's always don't, 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 eventually the people are going to tune you out. There needs to be some do, 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 do. And here, Jesus gives us this command. He tells us what to do. I love how the Puritan Thomas Watson explained this. He said this. It's short. Listen closely. The way to lay up is to lay out. Don't you like that? How could a Puritan say that if you think about those guys? Wow. Someone else put it this way. Treasures in heaven are laid up only as treasures on earth are laid down again I ask you where's our focus for many of you you can say my focus is on eternal things my focus is on storing up treasures in heaven let this be an encouragement to you today Colossians 3 2 Colossians 3 2 set your minds on what is above not on what is on the earth now that applies in a lot of different ways but I think that also applies with our treasure And then Philippians 3.20, we quote it quite often. But our citizenship, where is it? It is in, for the Christian, it is in heaven. 
And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back. So what does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven? I'm, I'm going to give you what I think some of it means. You might be able to expound on that, and that's great. You, can, you preach next Sunday, okay? All right, but, but here we go. Let's think about it for a minute. I believe overarching it means this. It means use all that we have for the glory of God. Use it all. Even our house. Have you forgotten the Christian discipline of hospitality? Even your house, God wants you to use it for eternal things. To pray in your house, to invite people over, to bless people, to do all kinds of things. That's just one simple example. It's, I'm glad that we have airplanes today. Some of you probably aren't if you were trying to fly southwest this last week. We have missionaries, praise the Lord. They're not like Lottie Moon on some steamer trying to get all the way across the world and some of them never even made it. No, they get on a jet and they go there. All right, all of it, whatever it is, whatever the stuff is, we use it for the, for the glory of God. We could say it this way. Don't sweat so much the material things of life. They don't last. It also means measuring life with a different stick. Measure it by the true riches of the kingdom, not by the false or fleeting riches of this world. We are susceptible to that sometimes. Sometimes we may go, wow, that guy really made it. Come on, have you ever said that to anybody? I've been following this Twitter thing, and I don't, I'm the most inactive Twitterer there is. In fact, Twitter reminds me I could go ahead and tweet. Is that, is that how you do it? Because I never do it. But there's this guy out there. If I said his name, you would know him, wouldn't you? What's his name? Elon Musk. There you go. Yeah. A lot of people said, this guy, it's crazy. He was the richest guy in the world, I think. You know, it goes up and down. But, you know, we say, look at that guy. He's really made it. That's the wrong measuring stick. We're measuring things by the world. My question would be, if I got to visit with him, if he would allow me, would be say, you know, if you were going to die tonight, what would happen to you? What, what's your eternity look like, right? We need to measure stuff by the true riches of the kingdom. Here's the beautiful thing about this command that Jesus gives us. Heavenly treasures will never be diminished in value. Amen? You see, heavenly treasures are permanent. They're lasting. They're satisfying. Heavenly treasures are absolutely safe. Not even death can steal these treasures. Do you see that? Nothing. Moth, rust, thief, nothing can take it. Well, how can that be? Because God himself protects heavenly or eternal treasures so that they never will be stolen. Unfortunately, some Christians are not interested in heavenly treasure. And that's where I hope today exhortation comes through in the sermon. If you have struggled with this, that you would listen to what Jesus is saying and you would consider following his way, it is a better way. But some Christians aren't interested in he heavenly treasure. In fact, they want to decrease their giving instead of increasing it. I don't know how many times I've heard that. Well, something came up, so I'm just going to cut back on giving to God's kingdom. And I was like, ooh, that, you got it backwards. You know, be, be careful with that. In fact, some churches do the same thing. They lack faith and do the same thing. Let me... Let me apply it in this way. Heavenly or eternal or spiritual investments. Here's just a few of them for you to ponder. I want you to pick at least one from this list and really meditate on that this week. Maybe you'll pick more than one. Here's the first one. And many of you, praise God, are 
great at this, but sacrificial giving to the Lord is a spiritual investment. I don't know how many young guys have come up to me and said, well, that tithing thing, that's, that, that's Old Testament. No, I'm a New Testament giver, and I just want to say, oh, well, then you're way above tithing. And they go, New Testament giving doesn't mean I, I'll just give whatever I might have or, or not. No, that's not it at all. You see, sacrificial giving. My family gave to, to this offering gave sacrificially to it this year. Not to boast, but to realize it's a spiritual investment. When someone gets saved because of our sacrificial giving, guess what? We have made a heavenly deposit. We have made a spiritual investment. Here's another one. Take encouragement. Praying, intercessory prayer. Praying is a spiritual investment, a heavenly treasure. Serving the Lord is an investment in eternity. Now, we haven't had a lot of serving going on. I mentioned a few of the musicians here the last couple of weeks, but it's getting ready to get going again. And many of us will be serving in many different ways. And some of you will be contemplating, how can I serve in the local church? How can I serve in God's kingdom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Realize that even if no one notices, it's a spiritual investment. Faithfulness to the Lord is a great investment. Scripture tells us that. Being faithful, it's important. Evangelism is a spiritual investment. And there are great dividends to it, by the way. And more of us need to do that one. And here's one even we don't think of, but the Bible talks about it. Suffering of all things. Not just suffering, because <coughs> you're a knucklehead, or I'm a knucklehead, but suffering, <coughs> excuse me, and I don't have any water, okay. <coughs> Sorry. Suffering for the sake of Christ is a spiritual investment. Think about some of the people that are suffering. Ukraine, for example, or what happened in Afghanistan. Christians, right? That suffering is laying up treasures. It's eternal things. Their faithfulness. People are watching. People are, there's revival even going on. Do you know that? There's revival going around, around our world in pockets of great suffering. I wondered if, if the only way revival could ever come to the United States of America is if truly great suffering came. And I'm not talking about inflation. I'm talking about true suffering. So these are all spiritual investments. So think of those. Pick, pick one or two of those out and just go with wherever the Lord takes you on that. I've got a long quote for you. Don't usually do this. G. Campbell Morgan, some of you have heard of that name. He wrote this. You are to remember with the passion burning within you that you are not the child of today. You are not of the earth. You are more than dust. You are the child of tomorrow. You are of the eternities. You are the offspring of deity. The measurements of your lives cannot be circumscribed by the point where the blue sky kisses the green earth. All the fact of your life cannot be encompassed in the one small sphere upon which you live. You belong to the infinite. If you make your fortune on the earth, poor, sorry, silly soul, you have made a fortune and stored it in a place where you cannot hold it. Make your fortune, but store it where it will greet you in the dawning of the new morning. He's talking about when Jesus comes back. He's talking about eternity. Wow. So I say to you the right way, let us use our resources, our valuables. Let us use our treasure, whatever that is, for kingdom purposes, for the glory 
of God. Well, most people know those verses, wouldn't you agree? But they quote, but they forget the context sometimes of verse 21. Look at it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I've seen it lots of times. I've seen it on Christian kids' cartoons even, a whole series on that. I've seen all kinds of things about it. But I want to think about this, 21, and, and looking at 19 and 20, it's a paragraph together, causes me to ask the question of myself and of you, where is your heart? That's what Jesus is talking about. He moves from this treasure, he moves to heart. And we know in Scripture, heart refers to our whole inner being, the source of who we are, the wellspring of life, who we really are, not our fingers and toes and freckles and, and hair and all that kind of stuff. But heart, it's not talking about the blood pumper, but who, who we truly are inside. And folks, this is simple. Jesus is not saying, though, hear me. I've heard some people say it this way, and it's a name it, claim it thing. Listen to me. Jesus is not saying that if we put our treasure in the right place, then our heart will be in the right place. That's backwards. It's not what he's saying. But he's saying the location of our treasure already indicates where our heart is. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? If you're resisting today this teaching of Jesus, then your heart is not in the right location. Your heart must be put in the right location, and then the treasures will be in the right place. Let me ask you a series of questions for you to ponder and think about. Number one, what occupies your thoughts, your daydreams? Is it a get-rich-quick scheme? Is it, let me pull out my phone and let me just see what's in the account again? In my case, let me not look at the retirement account. <laughs> Whew. Man, that hurts. All right, yeah. No, well, what occupies? Is it things of God or is it more stuff? How about this one? Are your investments, your position, or some person consuming your thoughts all the time? If it's some person, then the heart's not in the right place. If it's some position you have or want, it's not in the right place. If it's some investment, and I will admit this, God took me to the woodshed. Because I lost well into the double digits this year. I don't mind sharing that on retirement. Praise the Lord, I'm not retiring tomorrow. Or it would not be good. Okay? But I can't just think about that all the time. It's stuff. How about this question? What do you fret about the most? Are you more concerned with the lostness of your family? Or friends? Or are we more concerned about stuff? Apart from your family, what or whom do you most dread losing? Hmm. I've often wondered, if, if I lost all my stuff, how, would, I, would I be okay? Would I follow the Lord well? It, it's something for us to think about. And what are the things you use to measure others? Well, they're successful because... Really? we got to be careful how we measure. And what is it that you know you cannot be happy without? Just want you to think about those things. Because we see the negative command, don't do this. We see the positive encouraging command, do this. It's going to be good. It's the right way. It's the Jesus way. And then we see the question of the heart. And what do we do with it? So these are questions we can use to analyze. How, how's the heart doing? Charles Spurgeon said this, a man's heart 
has only enough life in it to pursue one object fully. I need a mic. Drop the mic. Y'all know what that means. Some of y'all don't know what that means, do you? Drop the mic means you made a really good point and nobody can say anything about it. And everybody's like, wow. What a good thing, though. That, I think, fits with Scripture, right? We really only can pursue one thing fully. And praise God if it's God and we see how other things get put into perspective. But if it's stuff, things tend to get out of whack and out of focus. Let me close in this way today. I've got a few more verses for you. Don't close up your bulletin yet. But we need a new heart. All of us do. This, this heart, there's more to it than just treasure. We need a new heart. You see, to desire the things of heaven, the only way you can desire the things of heaven is to have a transformed heart. What's a transformed heart? It's a heart that values Jesus more than stuff. In Jeremiah chapter 17, the Bible says, our hearts are deceitful, okay? Don't take it personal that I said that. It's sin. We all are sinners. We're all stained with it. In Romans 3, 11, it says that we're, in fact, we're born into sin. And in fact, we don't just have deceitful hearts. We have hardened hearts. God must tenderize them. And he does. In John 6, the scripture tells us that our Father, our God, our Creator, draws us to himself. If you're here today or if you're listening online today, God has put you here. Oh yes, I know you drove yourself or you made a resolution or you just, hey, Sunday, I'm always here, okay? It's more to it than that. God draws us to be in certain places at certain times and we're here today and we need to be reminded of what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You must be born again. That's having the transformed heart. When I turn from my sin and I repent and I rush to Jesus and say forgive me, I know you have the power to forgive my sin because you conquered sin and death and the grave and devil when you died on the cross and rose on the third day. And I know you can give me this abundant life, this victorious life, this life with meaning and purpose right now and also in eternity. That's what it means to be born again. We say be saved, salvation, trust in Christ, believe, all those things. We need a new transformed heart that is not deceitful and is not hardened. And the only way we can get it is by turning and running to God. He is the only one that can do that kind of heart surgery. So I ask you, what kind of heart do you have today? The good news is simply this. God has a rescue plan for our hearts. And he's completed it. And he is waiting. Ephesians tells us that it is his grace that does that. It's a gift that he wants to give to us. So I'd ask you to consider that. And if you know that you know that you're a believer, praise God. Would you celebrate that today? Would you be thankful that God saved you? All right. Remember, we didn't do it. He's the one who does it. And then let us evaluate and just see how, how's our heart in, in, in relationship to treasure. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for our time today. Thank you for how clear you can be, your scripture. Thank you for the don'ts and the do's. We're grateful for this, Lord. 
I pray that you would place our hearts in the proper location and our treasures would follow them. I pray, God, that you would save hearts today, this week, whoever needs that. I pray that you would continually be transforming, you would continually be working on our hearts, our focus, Lord, and that what we would do, what we would give, what we would spend, what we would work on would be for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray.